Amen. All right, well, we're there in Psalm 85, and uh, today we are starting a brand new series. We finished up all the series that we were in and that we were doing uh, during the lockdowns, and since we're starting a new phase and integrating everybody back into church, uh, I thought it'd be good to begin a new series, and we're going to spend the next several weeks studying the idea of revival, the concept of revival uh, in the Bible, and you've probably heard a lot about revival if you've been around church, uh, but a lot of what you've heard has probably been incorrect in regards to revival. And what we're going to do is we're going to be studying uh, the great passages of revival in the Bible, and there's not a lot of them, but we're going to go through and look at the great passages regarding revival. And then we're also going to study the great revivals in the Bible. So in the Bible, there were some great revivals that took place, and we're going to look at those, not all today. Today, what we're going to do is, this sermon is going to serve as a kind of an introductory sermon into the concept of revival, because so many people have a wrong idea about revivals and what a revival is and what revival means. So I want to kind of lay the groundwork for what we're going to be studying over the next several weeks. We're going to be answering the questions uh, that are these. What is revival? When is revival needed? And why you would even want revival? Why would you want to even experience uh, revival? So before us, we have Psalm 85. And Psalm 85 is one of those great passages on revival. I want to point out several concepts for you from this psalm. I want to give you three thoughts in regards to revival from Psalm 85 that will kind of lay the groundwork for this idea of revival. Now, you're there in Psalm 85. Look down at verse number 1. The Bible says this, To the chief musician, a psalm for the son of Korah. And notice verse 1 begins, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. And I want you to notice that in verses 5 and specifically in verse 6, we have the great revival verse and passage here in Psalm 85, and it's uh, put forth as a question. It's put forth as a request. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 5. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? And of course, you've got the famous verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again? that thy people may rejoice in thee. And of course, that may sound familiar to you as a uh, famous hymn that we're actually going to sing at the end of the service, Wilt Thou Not Revive Us Again? And we sing the song, Revive Us Again. And I want you to notice here, as we begin this morning in dissecting the psalm, that revival, and the first thing I want you to notice, if you're writing down notes, I encourage you to write this down. Uh, the first thing we see here is the request for revival. The request for revival. We see that the psalmist is answering asking these questions. Notice there in verse uh, number uh, uh, 5, wilt thou be angry with us forever? That's a question. Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? That's a question. Uh, Wilt thou not revive us again is a question that thy people may rejoice in thee. Now I want you to notice that revival begins as a request. Revival is something that happens where it's a petition that is being asked. It is a request that is being made. Now I'd like you to keep your place there in Psalm 85. 
five. That's our text for this morning, uh, for this afternoon. But go to Habakkuk chapter number three. If you would, Habakkuk chapter number 3. Now, you're in Psalms, keep your place there. If you go to the end of the Old Testament, you're going to find those major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. After that, you've got the small minor prophets, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. All right? Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. And go to Habakkuk chapter number 3. And in Habakkuk chapter number 3, we find... Another one of these great revival passages, and there's not that many of them in the Bible uh, where you read and see the word revival, and I want you to notice something similar to Psalm 85, Habakkuk chapter 3, and look at verse number 1. Notice how the verse begins, a prayer of Habakkuk, all right? Now, Habakkuk is, of course, the prophet unto Shigianoth, but I want you to notice that this uh, chapter begins as a prayer. We're reading the prayer from this prophet to the Lord, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, unto Shigenoth. Notice verse 2. Verse two. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, notice the request, revive thy work. Revive thy work in the midst of the year. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. And I want you to notice here, like the psalmist in Psalm 85, the prophet in Habakkuk 3 is making a request. The psalmist said, Wilt thou not revive us again? Habakkuk says, Revive thy work in the midst of the year. And I want you to understand this. And go back to Psalm 85. Keep your place there in Habakkuk 3. We're going to come right back to it. So make sure you can get back to it quickly. Go to Psalm 85 and keep your place there in Habakkuk 3. And what I want to do today is teach you about revival, but also teach you some, uh, or, or remove some wrong concepts of revival. Because some people have a wrong concept and an idea of revival, and they have it because of some faulty teaching in regards to revival. And one of the teachings that is faulty in regards to revival is this, that revival is something that God imposes upon people. Revival is something that, you know, we're just sitting here having church, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up, right? I mean, the Holy Ghost comes down, and, you know, you didn't want to, you didn't have to, you didn't like to, but you just started, you know, being filled with the Spirit, and you started getting excited, and you started going crazy. Look, that is not a biblical concept. The Bible teaches that the spirit of the prophets is subject unto the prophets, and God does not impose himself. God does not impose revival upon people. I want you to notice that revival always begins as a request. It begins as a petition from someone like the prophet Habakkuk, like the psalmist in Psalm 85, who says, Wilt thou not revive us again? where they pray to the Lord and they say, revive thy work. Now, I want to answer this question. When is revival needed? When is revival needed? Now, you're there in Psalm 85. Look down at verse number 4. Psalm 85 and verse 4, notice what the Bible says. Turn us, O God of our salvation. And I want you to notice these words. Cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Here, the psalmist is referring to the fact that they are experiencing the wrath, the judgment of God. They are experiencing the anger of God. And he's asking. He's asking for revival. He's about to ask for revival. But he says, cause thine anger toward us to cease. And he says, wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? And I want you to notice and understand this, that revival 
revival is needed. Because I want you to understand revival. This sermon's going to set up the next several weeks as we study revivals. And I want you to understand that revival is needed whenever you are, or your family is, or your church family is, or your nation is, experiencing the judgment of God. Here we have the psalmist saying, we need your anger to cease thine anger toward us. We need you to not be angry with us forever. We don't want you to draw out this punishment and this anger to all generations. They're experiencing the judgment of God, and as a result, they are asking, they're requesting, will thou not revive us again? Now, I want you to notice the similarity to Habakkuk chapter number 3. Keep your place there in Psalm 85, and go to Habakkuk chapter 3. Hopefully, you kept your place there, look verse 2. Notice what, the, notice what the prophet says. O Lord, I have heard thy speech, notice these words, and was afraid. Why is Habakkuk afraid? Because they are experiencing the judgment of God. He says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work, notice these words, in the midst of the year. In the midst of the years. In the midst of what years? In the midst of the years of judgment. In the midst of the years of wrath. In the midst of the years uh, of God's punishment, God's anger upon these people. He says, revive thy work. In the midst of the years. He says, in the midst of the years make known. Notice these words. In wrath remember mercy. Why does he say in wrath? Because they are experiencing the judgment of God. Habakkuk is looking down and he's saying, God has judged our nation. God has judged our people. God has judged our country. And he says, in wrath, Lord, I want you to remember mercy. And he says, and he requests, revive thy work. The psalmist says, thine anger toward us, he said, will you cease it? Wilt thou be angry forever? And then he asked this question, will thou not revive us again? And I want you to understand this. Go to, go to Revelation if you would. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm sorry. Go, go back to Psalm 85. I'll have you go to Revelation here in a second, but go, go back to Psalm 85. And the point is this. Revival is needed when we are experiencing the judgment of God. And you might ask yourself this question. You might say, well, pastor, you know, why, why now? We're, we're getting back into church. Why study revival? What put this on your heart? What put this on your mind? Why would we want to learn about revival and study revival uh, from the Word of God now? And honestly, the answer to the question is this. I don't know how else to explain. I don't know how else to describe. I don't know how else to uh, uh, put into words the last couple of months that you and I have experienced as, uh, as Americans in this country, in this nation, as Californians, I don't know how else to word what we've gone through over the last two months if not to call it the judgment of God. If not to call it the judgment of God upon this nation, upon this country, upon this people of the United States. And I'm here to tell you, revival is needed when experiencing the judgment of God. When you are going through the judgment of God. It may be a national thing, it may be a church thing, it may be a personal thing. You might individually go through the judgment of God. The punishment of God. The, 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 the chastisement of God. And at those times, I'm here to tell you, you are in need of revival. Go back to, to Psalm 85, or if you kept your place there in Psalm 85, let me give you a second reason why you might need revival. And you might sit there and say, well, I agree with that. During the judgment of God, we need revival. During a time of wrath, we need revival. And you might sit there and say, but I, I haven't experienced the wrath of God. 
You know, even during this coronavirus time, I have been right with the Lord. I've been faithful to my Bible reading. I've been faithful to my prayer time. I've been faithful to soul winning. I've been, I've been staying, you know, with my, my walk with God. And I, I haven't experienced, uh, that time of backsliding and that time of getting cold, that time of, of not getting, uh, right with the Lord. But I want you to understand something. That revival is needed for the times of judgment. And revival is also needed, not only when you are experiencing the judgment of God, but it's needed when you're experiencing the blessings of God. Are you there in Psalm 85? Look at verse 1. Because the psalmist is talking to a group of people who has, have done both. They've experienced the blessings of the Lord, and they've also experienced the judgment of the Lord. And isn't that true? Isn't that how the Christian life is? Sometimes God is blessing you, and sometimes God is chastising you. Notice verse 1, Psalm 85, verse 1. Lord, thou hast. You see what hast there? Past tense. In the past. Thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou, notice the word hast, past tense, brought back the captivity of Jacob. Notice verse 2. Thou hast, past tense, forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast, past tense, covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast, past tense, taken away thy wrath. Thou hast, past tense, turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. See, the psalmist here is looking at this people who could say, we have been a blessed people. We have received the blessings of God. Thou hast been favorable. Thou hast forgiven. Thou hast taken away the fierceness of thine anger. He's saying, we have been a people that has been highly blessed of the Lord. And I would say this to Verity Baptist Church. Verity Baptist Church has been a church that has received the high blessings of the Lord. We are and should be able to say, like the psalmist here, Thou hast been favorable unto us. Thou hast forgiven. Thou hast taken away thy wrath. But please understand this, that just because we've had the blessing of God, just because we've had the power of God, just because we've had the favor of God upon our lives, does not disclude us from needing revival. Because revival is uh, something that happens whenever something needs to be revived, given new life, given a fresh anointing, given the ability to be able to go. And look, you and I should never look at our past as a blessed one and think, well, that's good enough. We ought never be people who live in the past. I mean, good or bad. We often tell people, right? We, we tell people like the Apostle Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. And Paul was a man who was highly blessed of the Lord, highly used of the Lord, had preached many sermons, had written books of the Bible, had started churches, had been very successful. And he said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, I have not arrived. And I'm here to tell you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're pretty proud of yourself about where your Christianity is, and you're just kind of the type of Christian that's like, well, look at me. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, sure, that guy, you know, pointing to your husband, he needs the judgment of God. Sure, those people are well behind me. They, they need revival. I mean, look at them. They need, look, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty great. I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty faithful. I'm going to tell you, you are a candidate for revival. You need revival if you say, I've been judged by God. I've received the wrath of God. I'm, my, my Christianity is dead. It's stale. It, it's gotten low. But look, if you sit here and you think, well, I'm pretty good. And you need revival. 
Thou hast been favorable. Thou hast forgiven iniquity. Thou hast taken away the fierceness of thine anger. It's all good, but we ought not count ourselves to have apprehended. We should be like the Apostle Paul, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And look, and if your, your past is a past of sin, then you ought to forget those things which are behind. But if your past is a past of blessings, do not live there. You and I need to forget those things which are behind. And reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we begin today by talking about the request for revival. Revival is not something that God will impose. Revival is something that must be asked for, something that must be petitioned for. And honestly, the goal of this sermon today, as we set up this idea of revival for the next six or seven weeks, is this, to get you, as many of you motivated, as I preach this in the morning service and in the afternoon service and in the uh, later service, uh, uh, my goal is to get as many of you to get on board with this idea that like the psalmist, that like the prophet, we would look up to God and say, wilt thou not revive us again? Will thou not revive thy work? So we see the, requirement, the, the request for revival. I'd like to notice, secondly, go back to Psalm 85. Not only is there a request for revival, but there is a requirement for revival. And this is honestly why revival doesn't happen a lot. You know, what is revival? And again, People have different ideas and different uh, definitions for it, but revival is simply a breathing of new life into something that is old and into something that is stale. Keep your place there. Go back. Go to the book of Revelation, if you would. Revelation chapter number three. Not too long ago, we got done studying the seven churches of Revelation, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on here, but I want you to notice that sometimes churches need to be revived. Revelation chapter three should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse number 2. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. Be watchful. Now this is Jesus speaking to the church in Sardis. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, notice, that are ready to die. For I have not found my works perfect before God. Here you have a church, here you have a church that's getting ready to die. He says, be watchful and strengthen. He says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He's looking at a congregation saying, this congregation, thou has a name that thou livest and art dead. He said, you used to. You had the past tense favor of God. You had the past tense uh, uh, forgiveness of God. You had the past tense uh, fierceness of God removed from you. But now, he says, you're getting ready to die. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Same chapter, look down at verse number 15. Here we have the church of Laodiceans. He's now speaking to the individuals in the church. Notice what he says to these people. Revelation 3.15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. He said, he said I, I wish you would pick a side. He said, you haven't picked a side. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And I want you to notice that these are examples of people who God would look at and say, you know what you need, you lukewarm Christian? You need some reviving. You need a revival. He would look at a church and say, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. You say, what does that church need? Well, if it's getting ready to die, you know what it needs. It needs a revival. So we saw the request of the revival. Why don't you notice the requirement for the revival? What exactly is revival? Psalm 85, look at verse 4. Why don't you notice these two words? 
Turn us. Turn us. Here the psalmist says, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Go to the book of Lamentations, if you would. Lamentations chapter number 5. You have those major prophets uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. You'll be able to find Lamentations. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Lamentations is a small book in between these two books, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Here's very interesting about the book of Lamentations, because Lamentations is kind of a book that's different than the books it's clustered with, right? You have Isaiah, that's a big book, major prophet. And you have the book of Jeremiah, which is a big book, major prophet. You have the book of Ezekiel, which is a big book, major prophet. But in the midst, kind of sandwiched in between those, you have this little tiny book called Lamentations, written by the prophet Jeremiah, and it doesn't really seem to fit the uh, rest of the books that are uh, uh, put into uh, the beginning and the end of it. And here's what I want you to understand. The reason that it's there is because there's actually a chronology that's being followed here. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all have to do with the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and God pouring out his wrath and his judgment and his punishment upon his people. Isaiah is preaching or prophesying before the judgment of God. He's looking ahead to the coming judgment, and he's letting the people know, hey, the Assyrians are coming to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. Halfway through the book of Isaiah, there's a uh, shift because that happens, and then Isaiah begins to prophesy about the Babylonians coming to bring destruction upon the southern kingdom of Israel. Isaiah is looking to the uh, uh, coming judgment. Jeremiah is living through the judgment. Jeremiah is actually there when Nebuchadnezzar takes over the land, conquers the land, and takes the people prisoner. Jeremiah is living through the judgment, and then Ezekiel is after the judgment. He's actually in captivity, looking back to the judgment of God and living living with the consequences of that judgment. In between that, you have this little book of Lamentations. And Lamentations, I've heard it explained this way, and I think it's a proper way to explain it. It's really the prophet Jeremiah holding the funeral service for the southern kingdom of Judah. It's Jeremiah looking at a nation that is dying, that is dead, that has been judged, and he's looking at this nation, and he's holding a funeral service. He is lamenting what brought this nation to this place. And in Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 21, he gives us a little hope of a possible revival, a reviving of a nation. A people that has died. Notice Lamentation 5 verse 21. He says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord. He says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Then he uses this word, renew. What does that mean? Same, same idea. Renew. Revive, give new life, breathe new life, breathe new energy into these people. He says, turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as the, uh, as of old. Go back to Psalm 85. What is revival? When we a- answer the question, what is revival? Simply put, it is this. Revival is turning to God. Revival is turning to God. And I will say this. The word turn is used synonymously with this word repent. It is a repenting back to God. Now let me make something clear, alright? This is not in reference to salvation. 
When we talk about salvation, salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When we talk about turning away from sin, that is never a reference to salvation. And, and here's, here's the point. Unsaved people cannot be revived. Revival does not apply to unsaved people. Unsaved people cannot be revived. In order to be revived, the idea would be that you had life at one point. That life has grown stale. That life has grown dead. And it must be revived. Unsaved people don't need to be revived. They don't need revival. They need revival. They, they need to be born again. They need to be quickened by the Spirit of God. They need to be created into a new life. They need to be created as a new man, a new creature in Christ Jesus. So revival is not something that can apply or could apply to an unbeliever getting saved. This is not the psalmist looking at people, giving them a gospel uh, salvation uh, presentation. He's looking at the people of God who have grown dead and stale and cold, and he's saying, revive us again, O Lord. Wilt thou not revive us? And he says, well, how do you do that? How does that accomplish? He says, turn us. How does revival happen? What is the requirement for revival? It is a turning to God. But it is not only a turning to God. It is a turning away from. There's always two sides to the coin. It is a turning to God, but it is a turning away from. Notice Psalm 85, look at verse 5. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Notice verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. Don't miss the last part of verse 8, but let them not turn again to folly. See, that was the problem. The problem is that they have turned themselves to folly. What is that? It's sin. It's sin in the world, in the flesh. You don't have to turn there. Proverbs 24, 9. The thought of foolishness is sin, the Bible says. And here, the psalmist is praying. He's praying, revive us again, O Lord. He says, turn us to God. And then he says, let them not turn again to folly. See, when you ask the question, what is revival? People give you all sorts of answers, and a lot of them are wrong. Some people think revival is this mystical, supernatural work that God imposes on people. And again, we're going to, you know, because there's so many most bad teaching against revival, you sometimes find a lot of fundamentalist Christians, you know, kind of looking their nose down at the concept of revival. And I would remind you that revival is very much a concept found in Scripture. Just because people take it and teach it improperly doesn't make it any more biblical. And in fact, we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at passages in the Bible about revival, and we're going to be looking at some great revivals in the Bible. So just because people teach something wrong about it doesn't make it wrong. But there is a lot of wrong teaching about revival. And today, if you listen to a lot of Baptists teach about revival, you'll hear a lot of crazy stories. You'll hear about some preacher a hundred years ago who was walking down, you know, some uh, major street in New York City, and people were falling over before him, and, you know, just uh, getting the glory of God on them, and all this crazy stuff. And this is why we begin with the idea that God does not impose himself. Revival begins as a request. Revival begins as a petition that we ask, and you say, well, what? If it's not mystical, and it's not supernatural, if it's not just, you know, God's power comes upon us, and all these great things happen, then what is it? Well, some other people have the idea that revival is an event. Revival is something you schedule on a calendar. I mean, who's ever heard of a revival meeting? This fall, we're having a revival meeting. You don't, here's the problem with that. You don't schedule a revival. 
You don't, you don't put a meeting on the schedule, on the calendar, and say, we're having a revival. Revival is not something you schedule. Revival is not something that's imposed on you. What is revival? Revival is simply breathing new life into something that is dead. We are breathing new life into something that, uh, that is still. What is revival? It is a reviving of your spiritual life. It's getting right with God. It's turning to God and turning away from folly. Notice verse 13, Psalm 85 and verse 13. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. See, revival is simply this, getting right with God. First John 1 John 1.9, you don't have to turn there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The point is this, and here's what I want to ask you, and you don't have to answer out loud. In fact, please don't answer out loud. But the point is for you and for me to get to the point where we can say, like the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. See, revival. You say, why why doesn't revival happen? I hear a lot about revival and the consensus is, and I would say it's a true consensus, that most people are not experiencing revival. Most Christians are not experiencing revival. I would say the vast majority of Christians never, after their salvation, experience revival. There are some that experience revival one time in their life, and it is extremely rare to find a person who lives their life in a state of revival. It almost never happens. You say, why? Because it requires you actually getting right with God. It requires you actually looking at the things in your life that are distracting you, that are hindering you, that are causing you to not be completely sold out to God. And it requires you saying, I will turn from folly and I will turn to God. It has been said that it has not yet been seen what would happen if a man, and I would say to that if a woman, or if a church, wholly gave themselves over to God. What is revival? Revival is simply getting right with God. Revival is simply turning to God, like the Bible says in Hebrews, laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset me, and giving myself wholly and completely to God. Go back to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. We talked about the request for revival. Revival is something that must be asked for. Habakkuk prayed. Revive thy work. And by the way, I'll, I'll just tell you this. As a pastor of Verity Baptist Church, my prayer for this church is that God would revive his work. You say, Pastor, you think, we, you think we're dead? You think we need it? I don't think we're dead at all, but I, I know this. We have not apprehended. We can do more. We can accomplish more. We can be more. We can be more right with God. He says, revive thy work. The psalmist said, wilt thou not revive us again? And then we see the requirement for revival. What is the requirement for revival? It is a turning to God, and it is a turning away from the folly of sin. And here's all I'm telling you. If you're unwilling to do that, that doesn't mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean that you're not on your way to heaven. But it means this, that you are not a candidate for revival. Like you notice, thirdly, the result of revival. The result of revival. And this is really what it comes down to. You say, okay, pastor, I get it. I see what revival is. It's not something mystical. It's not something scheduled. It's just getting right with God. And I see that it's something that we must request. We must want it. We must desire. But why? What's the point? What's the result? Why would I even want revival? And I want you to notice, and in Psalm 85, he gives us three characteristics 
as to what revival brings and the result of revival. The first one is this, that revival will be evidence, and we've already talked about this, because we will be right with God. Psalm 85, look at verse 4. Turn us, O God of our salvation, notice, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Before, when we were backslidden, when we were not right with God, the anger of God, of, uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, judgment and the chastisement of God was upon us. But once we are turned, we can ask the Lord to cause thine anger to cease. Look at verse 7, same chapter. Show us thy mercy, O Lord. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Notice verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Notice, for he will speak peace unto his people. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what I want? That God would speak peace unto us? Look at verse 9. Surely his salvation is nigh them. Notice, that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. See, revival. Revival is this. It is a evident by getting right with God. And here's the thing. Only you can answer that question. Obviously, we don't believe in sinless perfection. We don't believe that you're ever going to get to the place where you just got it all. You know, we're never going to apprehend. But only you can answer the question, am I right with God? And when you ask that question, and the Holy Spirit immediately brings something to your mind of some sin you're into, something you're doing, some attitude you're having, then you must deal with that sin in your life. Well, you'll never experience revival. And I want you to notice, secondly, not only will revival be evident because people will be right with God, revival will be evident because people will rejoice in God. Notice verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again? Notice these words. That thy people may rejoice in thee. He says, Wilt thou not revive us again? And then immediately, in the same verse, in the same context, he says, That thy people may rejoice in thee. See, it's not enough to get right with God. I grew up as an independent fundamental Baptist. As a result of being in the United States Air Force, my wife and I traveled a lot and ended up being a part of many independent fundamental Baptist churches over the years. And what I've learned in fundamentalism, and I talked about this a little bit in the midweek service, is that sometimes we, we get this idea that, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of Christianity is how strict our lives are. And if we've got some checklists, and my checklist is stricter than your checklist, then God must love me more. And we can make, and look, I'm not minimizing, I'm all for standards and separation. In fact, in this revival series, we will talk about standards and separation and being separated from the world and being separated unto God. And we understand that. I'm not minimizing. I preach those things. I believe those things. But please understand this. When you think Christianity is keeping a checklist, is, is well, I'm, I'm more right with God because my hair is shorter than your hair or my hair is longer than your hair or my skirt is longer or whatever. When you think that Christianity is how well I partake and how well I keep a guide of rules, let me tell you something. You will not last in Christianity and you will live a very bitter Christian life. You will live a very burdened Christian life. When your Christianity is, I'm better than you are because, that attitude comes from this. I really wish I could be listening to what they're listening to. 
I actually wish I could be watching what they're watching. I actually wish I could be drinking or smoking or looking or whatever that they're doing, but I'm better than they are. Look, the, the motivation for loving, for, for uh, walking with God should be in love for God. It should be motivated by a love for the Lord. And here, you say, how will I know if I'm revived? Well, you'll know because you're right with God. You say, I'm right with Lord. But you'll also know because you rejoice in the Lord. See, revival happens when you are right with God and you are happy about it. Revival happens when you're right with the Lord and you rejoice in the Lord. You're not bitter. You're not angry. You're not bickering. You're not, well, look at them, look at that person. Let me tell you what I saw over here. And this, and this, I ran into her at the store, and I, let me tell you something. The Christian life is revived when you experience righteousness and when you experience rejoicing. Notice verse 10. I, I think Psalm 85 verse 10 is one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. I, I love the way that the Holy Spirit crafted these words. He's teaching us what revival looks like. And notice what he says in verse 10. He says this, Mercy and truth are met together. He says mercy and truth are met together. See, today when you look at quote-unquote Christianity, you'll find a lot of mercy or truth, right? I mean, you can find, you can find a, all sorts of churches. They're going to show you all sorts of mercy. I mean, find whatever church you want. It's going to be mercy, mercy, grace, 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 mercy, mercy, grace. I mean, they're going to mercy you so much. They're going to mercy you. You know, they're going to mercy truth right out, out, out of their church, right? I mean, they're going to be so accepting and so loving. You say, is there anything wrong with being accepting and loving? Nothing wrong with being accepting and loving as long as it's not at the expense of truth. I mean, you're a drug addict? No problem. You're an adulterer? Come right in. You're living in fornication? Sure. You're a drunkard? Hey, we accept you. Look. I'm all for mercy, and we need mercy, but not at the expense of truth. We need mercy, but see, then on the flip side, you got most fundamentalists, right? Truth, 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 no mercy. Well, let me see how straight, let me see how, how, how long your skirt is, let me see how, you know, how many hours you homeschool, let me see how strict you are, let me show you how great I am at the expense of truth. But here's what happens. When a church actually experiences revival, when an individual actually experiences revival, you know what you find? You find a meeting together of mercy and truth. He says mercy and truth are met together. See, we, don't, we, don't, we don't get rid of truth. We don't get rid of mercy. The Apostle Paul said, I speak the truth in love. Mercy and truth are met together. Look, look, look at these words. I, I love how it's worded. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. See, a revived Christian will live a righteous life at peace with others. Not a righteous life that they hold over others. Not a righteous life that they use to throw in the face of others. Righteousness and peace. I've kissed each other. By the way, this is why the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.18, you have to turn there, but the Bible says this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So I'm growing in knowledge. Well, better make sure you grow in grace. I'm sure I'm growing in grace. I got lots of grace. Well, you better make sure you have knowledge. I love how the Bible says about Jesus, that in Him was both grace and truth. Jesus was the most accepting and the most strict. Jesus would look at the woman caught in adultery 
and say, say, I don't condemn you. And he would look at her and say, but go and sin no more. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Revival, you say, revival is evident. Revival is evident when you are right with the Lord and when you are rejoicing in the Lord. Imagine, imagine what would happen in a church like that. Imagine what would happen in a church filled with people who were doing everything they could to be right with God and everything they could to love others. And to realize that other people are at other stages, are at other growths, and they're dealing with other things, and I don't need to look down on them. I don't need to talk crap about them. I don't need to try to put them down to make myself feel better. No, I can be right with God and happy about it. I want you to notice a third characteristic. Notice verse 11. Truth shall spring out of the earth. See, revival will be evident when we are right with God. Revival will be evident when we rejoice in God. And revival will be evident when we reach others for God. He says, look, when, when, when a people get revived, you know what happens with truth? They live in truth and they meet mercy, but then here's what happens to truth. Verse 11, truth shall spring out of the earth. Truth gets proclaimed. Truth gets promoted. Truth is, uh, is brought out. Notice, truth shall spring out of the earth. Don't miss this. I, I love the wording in these verses. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. See, revival is a meeting of heaven and earth. Revival is when in your life, heaven and earth meet. When we are able to spring truth out of the earth and God looks down his favor upon us. Revival will be evidence when we reach others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. Let me show it to you there. Look at verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years. Don't miss this. In the midst of the years. I want you to notice these two words. In the midst of the years, make known in thy wrath. Remember mercy. See, when revival genuinely comes to an individual, a family, a church, a nation, you know what happens? Truth springs up. And God is made known. And by the way, please understand this. This has always been the goal of Verity Baptist Church. And we had here in our backdrop that all the earth may know. That all the earth may know. With the gospel of Christ, we must go. That all the earth make known. So you see, the concept of revival. Again, I want you to, I kind of want to lay the foundation for the next several weeks as we study this out in Scripture. The concept of revival can be encapsulated in these words. To know God and to make God known. Revival happens when you get to the place where you know God in a way where you have not known him before. Where you know God in a much fuller way. Where you, like Abraham, can say that he was a friend of God. Where you can say, like Moses, not physically, not literally, but I have a relationship with God. I've spoken with God face to face. Revival is happening in your life, in my life, in this church, when we know God and when we make God known. When truth Springs out of the earth. And as we study revivals in the Bible, over the next several weeks, I'll show you. We'll look at different characteristics and different things. We'll look at the revival that Hezekiah led. We'll look at the revival that Josiah led. We'll look at the revival that Asa left. We'll look at the revival that Jonah left. Jonah, a backslidden preacher, left a, re- a letter revival. 
And, I, and I'm not, you know, uh, encouraging that. I'm just saying it's interesting. We'll look at these revivals, and we'll look at different characteristics, and we'll look at different lessons, different things, but you know what the underlying uh, 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 qualities of all of them are? It's this. God's people got to know God, and they got to, and they made God known. And here's all I'm telling you. I believe our church has already been doing that. We just need more of it. You know, I was blessed uh, yesterday. We went out soul winning. Went out to a park. And, uh, you know, we were, was my wife and I were with another couple. And we pulled up to the park. I, we, I saw these three guys, you know, big guys, kind of angry looking guys, you know, uh, sitting over there. I looked at my wife and said, these guys are up to no good. I mean, they just like, all of a sudden, like, you know, what's going on, and who's here, and whatever, you know. We get out, and we go and talk to them, and one of them comes our way, and we start talking to him, and, um, you know, as soon as he sees, we pull out the psychopath reparates the video, as soon as he sees it, oh, somebody already gave that to me. He said, I was all hanging out over here, you know, another park somewhere, and one of those two ladies walked up to me, they gave me one of these, and he said, yeah, they have that bin, and they're showing me verses, and whatever. And, and he had not gotten saved the first time around, but he was willing to listen again. He got saved the second time around. And I, I thought to myself, man, God really wanted you to get saved. You know what I mean? Like, he's having us follow you around from park to park uh, to make sure that you get saved. But, you know, I, I rejoiced in that because our church is really making God known in this community. Our church is known for reaching people with the gospel and going to people and giving them uh, 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 the plan of salvation. But the point is this. You say, we're going to study revival and about revivals and, and, and revival for the next uh, several weeks. What, what do I need to take away? Here's what you need to take away. We want you to know God in a way that you've never known Him before. And really, that's what we're going to spend the next seven weeks studying. We're going to spend the next seven weeks how to do that. How to have revival through the Word of God. How to have revival through the house of God. How to have revival through prayer and separation. We're going to study all that. But the goal is to know God and to make God known. In a way that has never happened. At Verity Baptist Church. Because revival is not some supernatural, you know, people are going to start falling in front of me at work. My boss is going to walk up and give me a raise. That's not revival. Revival is this. Your spirit is revived. And maybe your Christianity has gone a little stale. Maybe your walk with God has grown a little cold. Revival is simply breathing new life into that. Is getting right with God and learning to walk with God. Go to Psalm 85. It reminds me of Enoch. Remember Enoch? The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. God translated him. God uh, uh, raptured him. You know, Enoch, and of course this was physical, literal, but there's a lesson for us to learn there. Enoch just every day walked with the Lord, walked with the Lord, walked with the Lord. Drew closer to God, drew closer to God, drew closer to God. Eventually, one day he was walking with God. God said, you're closer to me than I am to you. Why don't you just come on up? And I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, and I'm not saying it's going to happen to me, but what I'm saying is this. Revival is getting right with God. Rejoicing in the Lord about it. And reaching others with the gospel. And here's what's interesting. Over the last two months, there's been a lot said because of these lockdowns and because of the coronavirus and government, politicians. There's been a lot said about America, about our government. And you know, as a pastor, I will tell you, if you don't know this already, 
One of the things that I try to do to guide myself and to guide the church is that we should put the emphasis where God places the emphasis. We should emphasize what God emphasizes, and the rest we should just kind of leave it to the rest. And I'm not saying these are bad people that are doing this, but I've noticed in Christianity, a a big emphasis has been put on, on political reform. And, you know, we, our rights are being taken away, and the First Amendment this, and the First Amendment that, and we got to go to the protest, and we got to protest, and we got to rally, and we got to write our congressman. And I'm not against all that, and from time to time, there's a place for that, and, 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 and I've uh, done stuff like that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But sometimes we put this emphasis on, we got to reform the government, we gotta, and, and, and people get this idea, and, and they might not say it out loud, but subconsciously it's like, the only way this is going to work out is if we, can protect, if, we can, if we can get a hold of our nation through the laws and through the politics and through our rights, and if we can get a lawyer to, to, to sue the governor and do this and do that. And I'm not against that. But I want you to notice that God places the emphasis in a different place. Psalm 85 and verse 9, the Bible says this, Surely... His salvation is nigh them that fear him. He's talking about people that have been revived. And then he says this, that glory may dwell in our land. We like to talk about old glory. He says that glory may dwell in our land. Look at verse 12, same chapter. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. You know the Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation? And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm saying. You and me and this church getting thoroughly right with God, knowing God and making God known, experiencing revival in our lives will do more to save this country than any lawyer, than any law, than any lawmaker ever thought of doing. I mean, we must put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis. We must emphasize what God emphasizes. And the hope for America, or any other nation for that matter, is not in its politicians. It is in God. As Christians experience true revival. As Christians know God, turn to God, and turn away from folly. I mean, I mean God said, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, so humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And here's all I'm telling you. You say, I love America. Good. I, me too. Let's save America. Okay, what protest are we going to? No, no, no. How about we get right with God? How about we know God and we make God known? that his glory may dwell in our land. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the psalm that dissected, gives us a roadmap, and teaches us about revival. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray that you would help our church. Lord, I pray that you would help me as a pastor of this church, to be revived. Lord, help our families in this church to get revived. The singles in this church to get revived. The kids, the teenagers. Lord, help us to experience revival. Help us to know you in a way that we have never known you before, to know you and to make you known. 
that glory may dwell in our land. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.